The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church slash contact. We're glad you're here this morning. Today we're beginning a brand new series called Highlight Reel, where we're going to look at some of the highlights of the life of David. And that's not David Decker, but it's King David from the Bible, okay? If we were going to do David Decker, it would be a lot longer series. But uh, yeah, so it's one of my favorite things to do. And David's uh, probably a lot of your favorite character from the Bible as well. He's a guy that was an adulterer and a murderer, but yet God called him a man after his own heart. And so it's kind of one of them guys who look at and go, man, I can identify him. It's been said that big doors turn on small hinges. And almost every person experiences pivotal points in their life. If you look back at your life, you just see there were pivotal points along the way. Some of those were positive. Some of those may have been negative. You think back through the scriptures, you think of people like Adam and Eve. You know, for them, that defining moment was when they ate the forbidden fruit. Or for Abraham, it was when God told him to pick up his things and move to the land that God would show him. If you remember for Moses... It was when God appeared to him in that burning bush and told him to go tell Pharaoh to let his people go. For Queen Esther, it was when she confessed to her husband, the king, that she was Jewish and begged him to spare her people. For Mary, it was the visit from the the angel Gabriel who told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Imagine that. For Peter, it was when Jesus asked him, hey, who do you say that I am? For Judas Iscariot, it was when he was offered 30 pieces of silver by the Sanhedrin to identify Jesus at night. And even for Jesus, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Father, not my will be done, but yours. You know, sometimes the defining moments that make up that the highlight reels of our lives are obvious. We, we face decisions or concerning where to go to college or, or who to marry or which career to pursue, investments that you make or spiritual direction. And we know that the choice we make is going to significantly impact our future. But many times those defining moments that make up the highlight reels of our lives, they're not so obvious, are they? I mean, your life is about to take a significant turn, and and you don't have a clue, and it's only in looking back that what you thought at the time may have been just a, a random encounter or an ordinary opportunity back then, that now you can see that it's changed your life forever. And what most of us really want is the assurance that our lives have purpose, that those defining moments, the, the, our highlight reels, we're calling them in this series They're guided by God, who promises in Romans 8, 28, to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He has to work all things together for us. Well, years ago, USA Today did a survey in which they asked adults, what question would you ask God if you were certain that you would get a direct answer? What would the question be? The second highest response was, is there life after death? But the number one response was, why am I here on this earth? What purpose does my life have? You see, we want to know that our lives are important. 
that our lives matter, that, that God has called us to make a difference in this world. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at King David's highlight reel. He was Israel's most respected leader, and we're going to see how he reacted during some of these defining moments in his life. As I've already mentioned, uh, David was called a man after God's own heart, but not because he was perfect, but because he had a heart for God that was sincere, and he chased after God in his will. And so we're just going to kind of pick apart some of the pivotal events from David's life, some good, some bad, and we can learn, hopefully, how to respond appropriately when those defining moments happen in our lives as well. So let's begin this morning with a highlight in David's life when he was just a boy. He was just a shepherd boy, and God first called him. This was the first time in David's life that he was shown that God wanted to do something significant, something special in his life. So let's look at this first story, and then we're going to build a bridge to our lives today and, and think about how we can respond to the Lord's call in our lives so we can make a difference with our one and only life, okay? So let's jump right in. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1, the scriptures say this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Now, listen, this was a tough task. Samuel was both kind of the spiritual leader and kind of the chief justice of Israel. And he had ordained Saul as the first king. Saul was the people's choice. It's who they wanted. And the scriptures say that Saul was very, very impressive. He was without equal among the Israelites, it says. He was head and shoulders taller than all of the others. But Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Power had kind of corrupted him. He became an arrogant, unpredictable, and a ruthless king. And Samuel the prophet was very disappointed because he had a lot invested in Saul. And so God said to Samuel, listen, stop crying, you know, dry it up. You've mourned long enough for Saul. It's time to move on. Verse 2. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? I mean, if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. You see, Saul had become an egotistical tyrant who would kill to maintain his power. And the road from Ramah, where Saul was, or where Samuel was, to Bethlehem, where David lived, went right through Gibeah, which was Saul's hometown. And Saul had already been told that the Lord had chosen somebody else to replace him as king. And so Samuel was afraid that if Saul found out the reason he was going, that he would butcher both the anointed and the anointer. Let's continue. It said, Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Okay? And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. You know, being truthful doesn't mean that we have to tell everybody everything, do we? Let's say for Heather's birthday, I order her a gift on Amazon. And then she gets home and she asks, hey, did we receive any packages from Amazon? 
Now, if I'm a truthful person, I don't have to lie and say, nope, nope, didn't get anything, right? No, I just say, yeah, we sure did. And when she said, well, what was it? I can just simply say, you'll find out later. I don't have to lie. Because unless it's an English bulldog, she's probably not going to be happy with it anyway, so what's it matter, right? But, uh, but anyway, you don't have to tell everything. Now, the Scriptures don't give us permission to be deceitful, except in the case where you're trying to like spare somebody's life. I think that happened a couple times in the Scriptures with Rahab and the spies and I think Abraham and Sarah. But, but God said to Samuel, just say you're going to go offer a sacrifice. That's it. No more, no less. Just I'm going to offer a sacrifice. Verse 4. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town, they came trembling to meet him, it says. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Isn't that sad? You read that, and I thought, man, that's sad. You know, when there's unrest, like in Washington with our government, that mood eventually makes its way throughout the entire country, doesn't it, in a way? And Saul had become such a ruthless dictator that the people in the land trembled at any authority figure. They were scared to death. Verse 5. Yes, Samuel replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. Now, according to Exodus chapter 19, purification involved not only prayer, but like washing themselves and putting on clean clothes to meet God. That's what that's talking about. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed right here. Now, listen, Samuel was a good man, but like many of us, he had a tendency to evaluate people on externals by, by looking at the outside. He was too easily persuaded by appearance. And I know it's human nature, guys, to show favoritism to beautiful people. It's just human nature. I mean, my wife has been put over speeding six times, but she's only received one or two tickets, and that was probably by a female cop, okay? I, on the other hand, have been pulled over five times and gotten six tickets. Do the math on that, okay? So I'm just telling you, that's the way it works. I've only had two. That was a joke. But for the past six decades, I think about up until recently in American politics, like Americans have elected presidents in large part by how they look or how they come across on television. Do they look presidential? You know, charisma somehow matters more than character, appearance more than substance. People tend to focus on the externals a lot of the times. Look at verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People, they judge by outward appearance. But it says the Lord, he looks at what? He looks at our heart. Guys, as you and I become more and more like Jesus, external appearances should mean less and less. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could just see people through God's eyes the way Jesus sees them? If we could just use the lens that God uses when he looks at other people? If we could just get beyond the physical, the the complexion, the ACT score, the family pedigree, and we could just simply see people for who they are as one of God's kids. Wouldn't that be nice? Verse 8. 
And then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one that the Lord's chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimei. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord's chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord's not chosen any of these. The Lord's choice was going to be a surprise. Verse 11. And then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Well, he said, they're still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Even Jesse was surprised. I mean, he didn't even bother inviting his youngest son into the room. And I don't know, maybe he didn't appreciate all of his children the same, or maybe he just thought he was too young. I don't know. But listen, guys, God sees beyond all of that. God sees beyond age and occupation. Joseph was in his mid-30s when God appointed him as administrator over Egypt. And on the other hand, Moses, um, and so so was Abraham, they were in their 80s when they received their most significant assignments. And maybe Samuel, the prophet here, maybe he remembered back to when he was a kid sleeping in the tabernacle when he first heard the voice of God calling to him, Samuel, Samuel. Remember that? And so let's continue. It says, send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. And verse 12 says, so Jesse sent for him. So here's David. Just picture this in your mind. He's just a teenager. He's out in the field with the sheep. And somebody runs up to him and says, hey, David, they want you back at the house. He had no idea that this was going to be on the highlight reel of his life. He had no clue what was going on inside of that house. And so he walks in, smelling like sheep. Everyone's staring at him. And in verse 12, it says, He was dark and handsome, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. Now, he wasn't as handsome as Saul, according to the Scriptures. But the point is, it didn't matter to God. God looks at the inside more than the outside. Verse 13. And so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And I wonder if you were just there in that room. I wonder what David's brothers were thinking during that moment. I mean, they must have just thought, what a joke. I mean, Samuel is losing his mind in his old age. This is crazy. Ridiculous, right? But it says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David that day. This was a highlight reel for David. And you know what he did afterwards, after this huge moment in his life? It says that he went back to taking care of sheep. That's what he did. But he'd never be the same again. He had a different countenance. He had a different confidence now. The Holy Spirit had blessed him. Charles Swindoll, in his book about David, uh, entitled A Man of Passion and Destiny, he points out that David didn't go to the store to get fitted for a crown after this moment. David didn't, you know, make business cards that read King Elect on them. He went right back to the flock because when you have a heart like David's, that's just what you do. He, He was faithful to his task. He didn't expect special treatment. As soon as his big moment was over, all the lights were off, he went back to doing his job. And in fact, 
People had to pull him away from the sheep to get him to do anything that was remotely close that was related to the limelight. David was humble. David was approachable. He was believable. David was authentic. David was faithful in the little things. And guys, listen, it is in the little things and in the lonely places that we prove ourselves worthy of the big things. Some of you may be feeling insignificant, like, man, what I'm doing just, it's so minor, it's so minute, it's so, listen, it's in those little things that we prove we're ready for the big stuff. I just wonder how many times when the going got tough for David, that he looked back and reflected upon this highlight in his life. When Samuel poured that oil on his head and he whispered to him, you're going to be the next king. I wonder if he reflected back and, and pondered back on that moment. And I wonder if that memory, it helped David through the years keep him on track or maybe get him back on track when he went through difficult times in his life and, and struggled. And so what I want to do with our remaining time is I just want us to apply what we've learned from this part of David's highlight reel to our lives today. Okay, so let's make some life applications here that we can take with us when we leave here, things we can apply. First one is this. God's call, God calls us to secular tasks as well as spiritual roles. For some of you, you know God's called you to serve him by serving others with your occupation. Because if we're Christians, we're ministers. Did you realize that? And so maybe you're in the teaching ministry or you're in the construction ministry or the healthcare ministry, or the business ministry. But listen, it's all ministry for those of us who call ourselves Christians, for those of us who follow Jesus. We're all ministers. And maybe there are days when it just feels like there's no other reason to keep pressing on other than the fact that you know that God has asked you to do what you're doing. You know that. You know, God called David to a life of leadership in the political arena. We hear phrases all the time like, don't, don't mix church and politics, keep them separate, you know, separation, church and state. Yeah. But God uses Christians in politics as well to hopefully set examples in, in areas like integrity and grace and leadership and character and humility. And you know, we're in desperate need of Christian leadership in our country. I read a stat this week that said 50% of Americans hate their job. Half the people in our country hate what they do every day. And that's sad. It's sad because if we're going to spend a third of our life doing something, it should be something that, that we enjoy, not hate. But one of the reasons I think that is, is because many people don't make the connection between what they do all day and what they think that God wants done in the world. Guys, our work matters to God. He's put you there. Through our jobs, we serve people. We, we meet our own needs that we have. We meet our family's needs. We earn money to give to other people. And through work, we can show other people Jesus. The scriptures say that we are God's fellow workers. We, we work alongside of him. And you think back through the scriptures, hey, God called Noah to be a shipbuilder. God called Joseph to be the administrator of Egypt. He called Nehemiah to be a supervisor of a construction project. He called Gideon to the military. God called Moses to be a liberator of his people. 
He called Mary to be a stay-at-home mom, right? And God has called some of you to be teachers and principals, coaches, doctors and nurses, salesmen, photographers, pilots and, and politicians, construction workers and prison guards. And guys, when we begin to see our job as a calling from God, we will develop an entirely new attitude to what we do each day. Colossians 3.23 says this, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. The second lesson we can learn is this. God's call often comes unexpectedly. It comes unexpectedly. We don't predict it. I mean, David was just out taking care of sheep. It was just a normal day in his life, and he didn't know this was coming. Now, I know that God will occasionally tap someone on the shoulder at, at a dramatic Easter service or at the end of a career seminar, but usually his call comes unexpectedly. For Pee Wee Reese, it was at Crosley Field in Cincinnati in 1947. The Brooklyn Dodgers were playing the Cincinnati Reds, and the fans were harassing Jackie Robinson, the first black player to ever play in the major leagues. And Pee Wee Reese, he goes over to Jackie Robinson, and he stood by his teammate while they were heckling him, and he puts his arm around his shoulder. And he didn't know it then, probably not for many more years to come, but that was a major scene in the, on the highlight reel of his life. That moment defined Pee Wee Reese more than his 2,000 hits did. But it was just an ordinary day, just going to work. I ran into an old friend one day about 13 years ago, and he was telling me about a friend of mine from high school who had a younger sister that I should notice. Okay, Now, notice is Brian and Melissa's Maxwell's word for when they were introduced to each other. They started dating. He noticed her. Okay, that's what that means. So I got on Facebook and I noticed that she was a Christian and really pretty. And that was, you know, way back in the day when I just looked at externals. I don't do that anymore. Okay, but uh, so I sent her a message and I asked her if she'd like to meet up sometime. And but I didn't know that, that when I first saw her that I was going to meet my wife. I didn't know that then. And she saw me. It was a little different story, of course. But but anyway, I didn't know that, you know. It was just an ordinary day, just a normal day. But God's call sometimes surprises us. And that's why it's important, guys, that we walk with God in his will every single day, every day. The third thing I want you to take home from this passage is this. God calls ordinary people, not just the glamorous, he calls ordinary people not just the glamorous. David was so insignificant that his own in his family, his own father, didn't even call him in from the field. And you know, the world notices the wealthy. They notice the young, the beautiful, the smart. But God oftentimes uses the ordinary. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless 
to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Do you know why? Verse 29 tells us, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Guys, when God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, he gets the credit. He alone gets the credit. So listen, if you are ordinary, stop apologizing. Don't do that. Don't be intimidated by those who are more impressive. Understand, God has called you. God needs you to be you. You are as important to God, maybe more so, than someone the world thinks is impressive. Just use your gifts with reckless abandon. I was sharing with our life group last week, <coughs> excuse me, a guy named Jimmy Evans, a quote from him from a podcast that Heather and I listen to often. And he said this, he said, as we get older, we learn to see that people are not as big as they seem and that God is way bigger than he seems. People are just not as big as they seem. You know, one of the things that I have no trouble with whatsoever is laughing at myself, okay? It's one of my favorite things to do. Whether it's some funny quirk that I have or something I said that didn't come out quite the right way or it's my physical appearance, I just laugh. It doesn't bother me. A lot of people, it bothers me. It doesn't bother me. I just realize that sometimes life is just funny and that God has a sense of humor, you know? And I have kids, so they, they bring it to my attention, obviously, you know, a lot. So Carson and Maddox, they'll let me know that I have a runway up top here on my hair, they'll call it, right? And they say that I have a kippah on the back that looks like a piece of baloney and people think I'm Jewish. They, they tell me that all the time. But they have my genetics, so paybacks are coming in just a few short years for them to, okay? And... Uh, I had just a few months ago, I had a red mole right here on my forehead, the size, it looked like a quarter to me, but it was forever there, and I had it removed because little kids were getting scared. They would come up to me and go, your forehead's bleeding, I'm like, okay, I gotta get this thing off. This is ridiculous, you know, but it was funny to me, you know, at the time, and then um, what else was, oh, I, I have a lipoma on my wrist right there on my arm and my little nieces when they were little thought that was the funniest thing they called it they thought that was the push button for a roller coaster ride they called it the lapoma coaster I was like you got to be kidding me but they would they do it and they start riding you know how it goes but what's funny is Dave used to make fun laugh at me and now he's got one <laughs> it's so great but uh don't God don't like ugly okay but anyway, I like it. Our church, we, don't have, we only have podcasts. We don't have like video streaming because I have the face and the body that's more suited for podcasts, okay? So that's good. And even this week, we had something funny. I was eating ribs. Heather made ribs this week, and evidently, I was eating them so aggressively, I chipped my tooth. But I didn't know it at the time. So Heather told me the other day, she said, is your, is your tooth chipped? And I was like, no. And uh, I looked it up, and sure enough, right there is a little peace missing. I said, well, all I did was eat your ribs last night, you know, so I don't know what happened, but if you ever watch Dumb and Dumber, she started talking about Lloyd Christmas, you know, the guy with the big chip, and my name's Kenneth Floyd McKinney. She started calling me Floyd Christmas all week because of this, so anyway, it was hilarious, but my point is not to self-degrade, but I realize that I'm just ordinary, and I like that. I love having to depend on God to do extraordinary things through me because then only he gets the credit. 
Fourth take-home lesson is this. God's call is usually subtle, not spectacular. You know, when Samuel anointed David, there weren't many people around. There was no publicity. There was no angel with a trumpet. There was no 21-gun salute. The world loves to call attention. But God oftentimes works behind the scenes in understated ways. But not all the time. When Saul of Tarsus was called, there was a bright light that struck him to the ground, and he was blinded for three days and had a dramatic healing. But that's not the norm. When Simon Peter was called, he just went with Jesus for a one-on-one kind of walk and talk, and Jesus said, hey, hey, Peter, do, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, I do. And Jesus just simply said, okay, feed my sheep. There, there was no bright light. There was no dramatic healing. There was no voice from heaven. There was just this kind of quiet reassurance that this is what God wants for your life. And guys, when you look back at the highlight reel of your life, and maybe for some of you younger folks, it still be uh, things yet to come in your life, but it may seem unimpressive to others when you think about them. I mean, maybe for you, maybe, maybe you just have a friend who says to you one day, hey, Have you ever thought about leading a life group? I mean, you know the Bible pretty good, and and you relate well to other people. Or maybe God shows you through the use of the gifts that he's given you. Maybe you're good with computers, and you enjoy it so much that you became knowledgeable, and before too long, it becomes your whole career. So what is it? What's your desire? What do you like to do? What is it that other people say you're good at? The Bible says whatever it is. Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. You know, God may call you progressively over time. He may call you through life experiences that that teach you about where you're the most fulfilled. He, He may call you by an inner nudging of the Holy Spirit. He may guide you through his word, which is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, it says. I remember in college, God nudging me into teaching and coaching because I've always loved sports and he's given me a gift to communicate with young people. And I almost didn't follow that calling because I was scared to death to take a class called Introduction to Public Speaking. And so I put it off to the fifth year. Um, I couldn't wait any longer and finally took it. And that's a whole other story that God did some incredible things. But I also remember back when I was in Cumberland College and I felt like God wanted me to teach the Bible. I'd seen how many local churches were boring people with the Bible. I apologize if I'm doing that to you today. But they were just putting man-made rules on people, being legalistic. And some weren't even teaching anything remotely close to what the Scriptures say. And I had a Popeye moment in my life where I had had all I could stands and I can't stands no more. You remember that? Yeah. But I didn't like speaking in public. Still don't really. But I knew God was leading me to teach the Bible in church, and so he nudged me out. And on faith, I'm still leaning on him 27 years later. The fifth lesson is this. God calls normally, or God's call normally comes gradually, not immediately. You know, as soon as David was anointed, he didn't march into Jerusalem and demand that King Saul step aside. No, he went back to taking care of sheep, And you know what happened? He would tend to those sheep for almost another 20 years. 20 more years. 
before he'd go through maturing and threats and misery as he ran from King Saul before he would eventually take the throne. Guys, God usually works slowly. And that means we have to be very, very patient. I read a quote one time that said, He often trains his people in the pasture alone. God often trains his people in the pasture alone. You know, there are missionaries here in the States that know they've been called to a foreign country, but they're going to have to remain here for three, four, five more years raising their support. There are band members here at this church who went through a process to be able to lead us in worship each week, that they had to wait while God trained and equipped, and now they do a much better job than if we had just thrown them to the wolves. Not, not that you guys are wolves, that's a bad choice of words, but you know what I'm saying, right? Alan Redpath, a British evangelist, wrote this. He said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. If you're interested in responding to God's call, listen, just be faithful where you are right now. Be faithful where God has you right now. Guys, listen, we will most likely have to tend some sheep for a while as we wait until God opens the door. That's just part of the process. But God has promised that if you and I are faithful in the little things, he will make us the ruler over many things, it says. Last one is this. God's call may come to you repeatedly, not just to a single assignment. You know, David was called mainly to be the king over Israel, but along the way, he would fulfill other roles as well. Giant killer, inspirational general, a soothing musician, a father and a husband. And some of us who are here today and are older may look back on our lives and we think, man, I wonder what significance my life had. What call did God have on my life? Because maybe for you, you've had several occupations. Maybe you've lived in several different communities. You've had several different roles in the church. Maybe God's had more than one assignment for you along the way, some major and some minor. But listen, our task is simply to walk in obedience to God's will, to go through the doors that he opens and not to try to walk through the doors that he sealed shut. It's really that simple. Just Obey God. But for some people, they're called to one task their entire lifetime, while other people are like utility players. God, God kind of plugs them in to different roles along the way. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Just simply trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't depend on your own understanding. Don't try to figure it all out. No, just seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path that you should take. Guys, we may not even be aware of God's guidance at times in our lives, but it's there. It's there. And if we will simply trust him, and if we'll just follow his word, our lives will have meaning. They will have importance. They will have significance. J. Wallace Hamilton tells a story of a cat who was trying to carry its little kitten across a, a busy intersection in a street in New York City. Said she would dart out and she would dart back over and over again until finally a policeman who was directing traffic saw the cat 
And he, and he put up his hands in both directions and stopped the traffic. And then the cat runs across. And in the story, he says, you know what? That cat had no idea that the power of the New York City Police Department got her safely across. And guys, there are times in your life and in mine where we're just trucking through life. We're just trying to get through busy seasons of life. We're we're darting back and forth. And we fail to recognize that the hand of God, it goes up to protect us or direct us along the way. But he promises. He promises that if we'll just walk in his will, that he will guide us through those times in our lives that are destined to be our highlight reels, good or bad. You know, Max Licato wrote a book years ago. It was entitled, When God Whispers Your Name. And in it, he writes this. He says, maybe the moment right now is a, maybe this moment right now is a defining moment for you. You came here this morning expecting very little. I mean, it's just an ordinary Sunday, right? But maybe, just maybe, God is whispering your name today. He's calling you in a new direction, a bold challenge, or maybe to repentance from that besetting sin that you keep struggling with. Will you respond when he calls your name? Guys, if you do, your life may never be the same again. Maybe God is whispering your name right now to accept Jesus as your Savior and be baptized into him or to become a member of this church, but you're waiting for something spectacular. You want a bright light, bells and whistles. You're waiting on this overwhelming emotion. And there's just this gentle whisper, just a drop of oil anointing your head. If God is whispering your name this morning, are you willing to pray? God, anything, anytime, anywhere, at any cost. I'm in. I will follow you. If he's calling you today, will you have the courage to respond? He wants to do something significant with your life. Let's stand and sing this last song together. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.